Hi, I'm Babs Weber, and welcome to Paused at Home, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. We hope you've been enjoying the thought-provoking conversations the past few months about the big questions that are on people's mind through the COVID-19 pandemic as it relates to systems change. If the conversation sparks new thoughts for you, please share in the comments of your favorite listening platform and let us know what you think. Katie Robertson is the founder and lead program administrator at Crisis Communications Institute. She is also one of the organizers of a mutual aid group in Edmonton that was created in response to gaps made apparent by COVID-19. In this episode, Katie and Elise chat about what a mutual aid group is, how they've had to pivot during COVID-19, the challenges they face, and where they see themselves moving forward. Here is her conversation with host Elise Martinowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Paused at Home. Today on the show, we have Katie Robertson joining us to share about mutual aid groups, how they've been functioning throughout COVID-19, and what the future looks like for them. So welcome, Katie. Hi there. Uh, My name's Katie Robertson. I'd like to thank Elise and ABSI for inviting me to be on this podcast. So Katie, you and I were introduced, which was lovely to meet you. And we had a bit of a back and forth around the thoughts that are on your mind and came to a question that you wanted to address today. So could you share that question? So the question that was posed to me was how has mutual aid needed to pivot in light of the pandemic and what will come of it post-pandemic? I think that this is a really important question to ask um, and hopefully I'll be able to answer it. Fabulous. Um, Before you dive into the response to that question, could you share what mutual aid is? Basically, in a nutshell, mutual aid is solidarity, not charity. That's sort of the tagline. Um, It is a program that is usually administered by citizens, for citizens, and the idea is that um, resources are sourced and then distributed as needed and where necessary without questions asked. So if somebody needs something, they can contact us, contact the mutual aid organization, request for help or resources or assistance. Um, And then that particular group, which is uh, volunteer led, uh, they go out to their network and um, try and find the answer or the resource that's that's been requested and then deliver it. Like I said, it's volunteer-led, typically. We don't have a lot of rules or parameters in what we collect or distribute. Mutual aid can come in the form of groceries, uh, drives if somebody needs it, bus tickets. Um, we have helped people transitioning out of prison into back into the civilian world to apply to go to um, rehab to apply for housing we've helped research certain things for for people if they need it um, on how to access different resources especially government administered programs Um, and it can be even as simple as just 
checking in on neighbors and calling to see how they're doing or even um, if we know that there's say for instance somebody who's living alone and they're not necessarily uh, mobile but they would like company then you know we can call them and check on them and see if they need anything. So what are some of the challenges that you've been facing due to COVID-19? So COVID obviously has presented some challenges. Now there's an additional layer of risk that's added whereby there's a health a health uh, challenge that that we need to address. Um, and that is just ensuring that both the people who are receiving on the receiving end of the resources and even those who are donating it um, or helping connect, that everybody's safe and that they're protected. Um, health, obviously, and safety are uh, the number one priority in any circumstance. This is the definition of what mutual aid really is. It's about prioritizing people and their safety, um, whether that's safety in um, just feeling secure and part of the community or it's safety and health, it doesn't really matter. We That's something that's always sort of been a priority, especially for our group. As innovators, we're always interested in seeing how people pivot, adapt, create new ideas when faced with challenges, and the pandemic has had no shortage of challenges for everyone. Um, could you share some of the ways that you guys have responded to these challenges? So yeah, some of the things that we've done, uh, specifically in the very beginning, when when this first hit, we did some advocacy work. We worked hard with other groups to try and put some renter protection in place. Um, there was obviously a huge uh, disparity or inequality between what resources were available for owners versus renters, and that was a major concern for us. So we definitely rallied around making sure that people who are renters were not in a more precarious situation than those who owned. So we really fought hard for that. We were a little bit concerned mostly about people who already had mobility issues and um, wouldn't necessarily, would have been hindered more, I think, by the, obviously the pandemic and then things being shut down. And then especially with transit, like the city made transit free, but that doesn't necessarily means that mean that it's more accessible. So uh, I, in, in the context of the pandemic, for sure, uh, I'm a big proponent and supporter of free transportation, free public transportation. So that's not to say that making it free doesn't make it more accessible, but in the context of the pandemic, it wasn't not necessarily the case, especially if somebody had, you know, multiple pre-existing conditions, whether that might be, um, for instance, asthma. So we really just wanted to make sure that all of those people, if, if it wasn't absolutely necessary, that they didn't need to leave their house. So we made that clear um, and kind of created a network where we could do deliveries in a safe manner. So if they needed medication or groceries, um, then we could do that 
And then even if they needed a ride, like, say, to the doctors and they couldn't take transit, then we could organize um, taxis or an Uber. Um, some volunteers were willing to drive people. Obviously, in the very beginning, there wasn't as much information or protocol in the way of PPE. Um, but obviously, that increased as time went on and now... Um, you know, taxis have barriers in their cars and um, people are asked and, um, you know, strongly encouraged to wear masks. And I think at some point that will probably become mandatory. But for now, um, you know, washing, making sure you're washing your hands, sanitizing, wearing your mask were the basic precautions. But we were really just sort of cognizant of the folks who would have become more isolated because of the pandemic, some of these folks, you know, their outings are the only time and whether that's facilitated by a public service or not, some of some of these folks, that's the only time that they leave their house. So now this social fabric of the community was deeply disrupted by the pandemic. And so from a mutual aid perspective, we were really cognizant of that and looking for ways to make sure that people still felt connected and that people were not isolated to the point that it would be more detrimental to their mental health versus the overall, you know, physical risk that it would have been to leave the house. I can hear that you guys have built some amazing momentum throughout the pandemic. Do you have plans and ideas for what the mutual aid group could look moving forward? Uh, in terms of what this means moving forward and what I think will come of this pandemic, I think that um, this has given a lot of people beyond, you know, in the broader community, I would say, an opportunity to reflect deeply on what community actually means and um, and how we can support each other better. Uh, obviously, it has unveiled uh, some very deep flaws in our economic system as well as our social system. Um, the people, especially those who require this type of assistance, they, they know that this exists, but now I think... Um, the broader public have a much bigger view of what that um, entails and and how deeply problematic some of these systems are in um, in the ways that they suppress and and oppress people um, in these types of communities. So I think that hopefully that will mean that um, you know people getting involved in mutual aid will grow because it is so vital for our community. As well, um, on the political side of things, I think that even the simple conversation of um, universal basic income that has come up quite a lot more frequently now than it has in the past um, and looking at those types of things. So I think mutual aid groups will certainly um, be keeping their eye on these types of things, um, making sure that folks who require assistance are still able to access it and, um, and, and helping make it easier for them to access it because that is one of 
the main issues I think um, with a lot of our systems is that they're very cumbersome and they require people to jump through a lot of hoops in order to access the resources um, and assistance that they need to survive and have a good quality of life. So I do think that moving forward, you know, mutual aid groups, we have a, a strong role to play in, in the advocacy side of things, in advancing what our social systems look like, how they're administered, um, and then um, dismantling some of the old systems and the way that they operate. In terms of community building, we'll have to be innovative in building resiliency into the community. Um, I don't think that this is going away anytime soon so we're going to see waves of it and we're really going to have to wherever possible build resiliency into uh, into the group and into the community and just making sure that we are keeping our fingers on the pulse of mental health as well as well-being for everybody who's involved in the group and um, throughout the community. Thank you so much, Katie, for participating today in our in our podcast, for being a guest on the show. It was fabulous chatting with you and hearing about mutual aid, the role it's playing right now, and hopefully we continue to see this as a support for folks moving forward. I really appreciate you involving me in this podcast. I think what you folks are doing is so vital for the community, and I appreciate all of the energy that you've put into this. And I really look forward to seeing uh, where else it goes and, and how we can strengthen the community altogether. Thank you again. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pause. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge that the homes we live in and now work and record podcasts from, are situated on lands that were, until relatively recently, used and cared for exclusively by Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the past, present, and future generations of First Nations, Métis and Inuit, who have traditionally gathered in and cared for our land. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it with a friend and rating us on your favourite listening platform. We'd also love to feature your big question on a future episode. Find us at abseconnect.ca slash get hyphen involved for more information on how to be a guest. We'd like to thank our funding partner, the Suncor Energy Foundation, producer and editor Elise Martinowski of Absey Connect, and theme music creator Eilie Aurora. Have a fantastic rest of your day. <laughs>